In this week's parsha, we have the pasuk Dabral bnei Yisrael v'yamarto aleim ani Hashem lekechem. Hashem is telling Moshe Rabbeinu to tell the Yidden not to act like the people in Mitzrayim where the Yidden had lived before. They shouldn't act in the same way, and not to be over on the various different arayos, the forbidden relations that are discussed in these psukim. Rashi quotes the words ani Hashem lekechem. And he explains that I am the one that told you at Harsina, you accepted my kingship, now you should accept my Xeris, my decrees. There Rashi goes with a second explanation and explains, Rebbe says, was known to the Abishter that eventually the Yidin would transgress in this idea of the forbidden relations in the times of Ezra. And it's for this reason that he's, dec- he's telling them that this is a decree, you should know who is the one that is decreeing this upon you. I am the judge that could punish, as well as I am faithful to give reward. The simple meaning of Rashi over here is, because si- uh, simply you might ask, it's not understood. Why does Hashem have to say over here, seemingly what's the chidush, um, once Hashem took them out of Mitzrayim, once Hashem gave them the Torah, why is he now telling them, Ani Hashem I am Hashem that took you out of Mitzrayim? And that's why Rashi is explaining that this isn't a statement for itself, rather it's an introduction to what's going to follow, that since you accepted my Malchus at the time of Matan Torah, you should also accept all of my commands, all of the decrees that are going to be discussed, and then Rashi says a second pirush, that since Hashem knew that eventually the Yidin would mess up in this particular area, therefore he has to tell them this decree, and that there is the punishments or rewards associated with it. However, the Rebbe says we need to understand. Number one, in the beginning of Pasha's Vo'era, there we have a similar Hashem, where one could ask a similar question, what's the Chiddush, why does it have to say Ani Hashem? Rashi told us already on those words that what these words mean is that Hashem is trusted to give good reward to those that go in His path. And then Rashi says over there that we find the same meaning for Ani Hashem in many other places. That it means that Hashem is going to punish or reward. So if that's the case, simply we could have explained our Pasuk exactly the same way. Ani Hashem means that Hashem is trusted to punish or to give reward. Especially that Rashi says over there, back in the beginning of Pasha's Vo'era, that this is the way it's explained in many places. So the question over here is, why is Rashi need to discuss this again in our Pasha? And more importantly, why does Rashi suddenly need to give a different explanation as to what Ani Hashem means in our case? Another thing that Rebbe says we need to understand is what is this idea, Kablu Malchusi, you accepted my kingship, and therefore you should now accept the decrees. Seemingly, the idea of accepting the kingship is that you're accepting whatever the king is going to tell you. In fact, Rashi himself, on the Pasuk Anoichi Hashem Elekecha, which Rashi quotes over here, Rashi says, On Anoichi Hashem Elekecha, that because I took you out of Eretz Mitzrayim, so it's fitting that you should be mishubadim, you should be subjugated to me. In other words, Rashi understands the words of Anoichi Hashem Elekecha, which is really the same concept of accepting Hashem as king, that you should be mishubadimly, that you should be subjugated to Hashem, to serve Hashem in practically doing all of the mitzvahs. 
And in fact, we saw this in a Rashi earlier as well, where Rashi says that there are parshias in the Torah, that when a person does them, he gets reward, but if he doesn't do it, there's not necessarily a punishment for it. You might think that Aseris Hadibrois are in the same way. That's why we need to be told that that's not the case. And nevertheless, he, in other words, so what do we see from here? That the idea of Kabbalah Samalchus usually goes along with fulfilling Hashem's Gzairis. So the question is, why over here is Rashi telling us there's two separate things? You accepted my kingship, yet you still need to go ahead and accept my decrees. On the other hand, says the Rebbe, if in fact accepting the mitzvahs is in fact something separate to Kabbalah's Hamalchus, then if that's the case, then this idea that you should be accepting my decrees and my mitzvahs should have been said much earlier in the Torah already before the first mitzvah being given. Why is it waiting all the way till here? The Rebbe also asks why the expression Kabluk Zeiroisei accept my decrees, why not mitzvahs or other similar expressions that we find in most other places. The Rebbe also asks, as discussed many, many times, that when Rashi brings more than one pirush regarding one idea, it is obvious that there must be some problem with each one of the pirushim that is being and somehow helped and answered by the other pirush. Seemingly, in our case, both Pirushim would have been very, very smooth, worked out very well. Why the need for two Pirushim over here? Another thing that Rebbe asks, we know and discussed a number of times, is that Rashi usually does not mention who is the person that actually gives this Pirush. And the reason for that is obvious, because usually it's not relevant in Pshutei Shal Mikra. So when Rashi does mention who is the person that said it, it's a proof that that somehow also helps us understand Rashi's explanation. In this case, we need to understand what is being added by the fact that Rebbe is the one that said the second period, that Hashem knows that eventually the Yidin are going to transgress in the Indian of Arias, etc. The Rebbe asks another question that... Usually, when we're speaking about doing an Aveira, the expression might be lava, to transgress, to violate, likoshel, to stumble in the Aveira. Here, Rashi uses a very unique expression. He says, take boarayus. They're going to disconnect themselves in the area of Arayus. We need to understand what is this particular expression, lenatik. And finally, the Rebbe asks the following. The Rebbe says that Rashi's pirush originates in the Torah's koyanim on this very posuk. Well, what does the Torah's Koyanim say? The Torah's Koyanim says that we find that the Yidden had a problem with this idea of Arias. And Rashi brings, not the Torah's Koyanim, excuse me, brings that Vayishma Moshe Moshe Rabbeinu heard the people crying, They were crying, and Chazal tell us that that was to do with the fact that they were commanded about the Arias. Then the Torah's Koyanim goes on, and so too by Malachi, in the Navi Malachi it says that this is another thing that you have done, etc., etc., speaking about the fact that the Yidden were over in Arias, and they had Ezra telling them off, and so on. Rashi only quotes this that we find in the times of Ezra, which as the Rebbe explains over Ezra Malachi are the same person. So Rashi only quotes that story. Not the story that happens in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu. Furthermore, the Rebbe says, Rashi himself, in that very pasuk where it speaks about the Yidden crying, Rashi explains this point, that the reason they were crying was because of family matters, because of the things that were being forbidden to them. 
the relations that were being forbidden. Yet Rashi does not bring over here in our Pasuk the story that happens in, in, in a short time after the parsha that we're discussing right now, in other words, a thing that's much closer to the time that this is all happening in the times of Moshe Rabbeinu, instead he brings something that's going to happen so much later, about a thousand years later in the time of Ezra. So in order to explain all of this, the Rebbe says the following, that even though it's true that Rashi had explained already the concept of Ani Hashem, meaning that Hashem gives reward or punishment, etc., and Rashi also said that this is the way it's understood in many other places, Never the, clay, never the case, nevertheless, excuse me, our case would be different. And the reason for this is as follows. This pirush that we say that Ani Hashem, Hashem is telling us that he's going to give reward or punishment is usually said, and it makes sense to be said, at the end of a certain command. At the end of something that has been said, a certain mitzvah, something has been said, and in order to emphasize the importance of it, so then... We are being told, you should know, Ani Hashem. That means Hashem is saying that I'm going to be giving reward or punishment for this. And this is generally in the other places where, as Rashi is referring to, that this is the way it's understood in many other places, it's clear that that's exactly the, the way it's being used over there. And the Rebbe says, in a similar way in that Pasuk, the original Pasuk where Rashi says this, even though it's the first Pasuk in Parshas Vaira, it says, Vayidaber Moshe Vayoymer Ani Hashem. Rashi over there is explaining that in fact, this is not the beginning of a new statement and of a new story, so to speak, as you might think. But rather, Hashem is speaking to Moshe Rabbeinu harshly because of something that had happened before, in the end of the previous parsha, where Moshe Rabbeinu said to Hashem, Yosa, why were you acting in this way to the people, causing them all these terrible things? In continuation to this, Hashem says to him, Ani Hashem, meaning... Why are you questioning my ways? You know that I give reward and punishment um, to those that deserve it. And so too, in the very end of that same section in Chumash and Parshas Veira, where it says, Rashi says over there again, that Hashem keeps His promises, meaning to say that here as well, it's not some new statement that Hashem is saying, as again, as looking simply in the psukim, it might seem like Hashem is just, it is a new, a new statement about to be said. Rashi emphasizes, no, this is the end of the previous thing that Hashem was telling Moshe Rabbeinu about taking the Yidin out and going to the Yidin, etc. Ani Hashem, I am the one that promises and I can be trusted, I'm faithful to keep my promises. So again, in summary, usually the term Ani Hashem in that context is usually used at the end of something happening or a statement. However, when Ani Hashem says in the beginning of a statement, as in our Pasuk, when it starts with, here you could not say that the meaning is to emphasize and to warn about the reward or punishment because we didn't even hear what we're talking about yet. There was no statement, mitzvah, avera being mentioned yet. And therefore the question is, what is the Pasuk telling us with the words, Ani Hashem Elekeichem? And therefore you must say, that Ani Hashem Elokeichem is not being said as an introduction or beginning to the following psukim. Rather, somehow it's a statement for itself. In other words, that this pasuk itself is a command and is a statement. In fact, this is exactly the way it's being used in Aseris Hadibrois. Aseris Hadibrois starts off Anoichi Hashem Elokecha, and what does that mean? 
This is a statement for itself. I am Hashem and therefore you need to accept my Malchus. It's not an introduction necessarily to anything else. So the Rebbe says in the same way it's understood in our Pasuk. Ani Hashem Elekeichem is being made as a statement for itself. However, we also understand that we cannot be speaking about exactly the same statements as Anoichi Hashem Elekeichem. Because the Yidden had accepted already Hashem's Malchus at Sinai. We also cannot say that it's referring to just general acceptance of mitzvahs, because as said before, simply general acceptance of mitzvahs would be part of accepting Hashem as king. And furthermore, this wouldn't even be the place for it. This should have been said somewhere earlier before the first mitzvahs. If that's the case, we need to understand the term over here, Ani Hashem Elekeichem, as some sort of new command in a different aspect, in a different idea of the acceptance of the mitzvah, something that was not stated yet. And therefore, it could have maybe not been included in the Yidden's general acceptance of mitzvahs. So what, is, what are we referring to over here? What is the new kind of mitzvah that's happening over here, which we didn't have before, the Isra of Arayas? This is... In the category of, as Rashi himself uses the term, gzeros, decrees, as will soon be explained. And therefore, this is what Rashi is telling us, that when it says, This is telling the Yidden to make sure to also accept upon themselves this new category called gzeros. Meaning to say, that although, yes, it's true that by Harsinai the Yidden accepted to do the mitzvahs of Hashem, however, you may have still thought that there are some mitzvahs that are not included. That is, there are mitzvahs that seemingly are going completely, completely against logic, against seichel. In other words, you have mitzvahs that we understand. We have mitzvahs that even though maybe we don't understand, but at least somehow that our logic is still tolerated and still accepted. It's not a complete contradiction to seichel. But then there are these gzeres, the certain there, the mitzvahs that seichel. Intellect and perhaps even kedushadik um, intellect, intellect is completely opposed to them. That you may have thought that these mitzvahs are completely not included in the acceptance of the mitzvahs, as we'll soon see why that is. And therefore, before Hashem starts giving over these gzeros, which are going to be the arayis, the forbidden relations, it's important to introduce this by first warning the Yidden and telling the Yidden that they need to be accepting upon themselves this concept called gzeros. Not necessarily even only about the Arayos. Any Xeris they're going to have to accept because this is the first time they're being introduced. And as Rashi puts it, I'm the one that told you at Arsinai, and you accepted upon my, yourself my Malchus. And yes, it's very nice you accepted upon yourself also mitzvahs, but now I want you to also accept upon yourself my Xeris, even these things that are Xeris decrees, even things that are completely contrary to logic. Why are Arayas called Gzeira? So the Rebbe explains the following. We know it's, that it's quite obvious that when it comes to marriage, one of the most important things that one would take into consideration is the yichus, the lineage, the family, where the person is coming from who we want to marry. Especially when the person themselves that wants to get married right now, has a tremendous yichos, has beautiful family, great lineage. Obviously, they're going to want someone that also has very, very great family, great lineage, and so on. And in fact, we saw this already, that the Torah elaborates on this regarding to the wife of Aaron, that he married Elisheva, Basaminodov, Achois Nachshon, 
all to point out and to highlight the great yichus she had, that she's the daughter of Aminadov, she's also the sister of Nachshon. In fact, Rashi over there points out that when one marries a woman, you have to start checking who are the brothers. We find similarly by Avram. He sends Eliezer to get a wife for his son to Yitzchak. He says, make sure to go to my land, to my birthplace, make sure to get a wife for my son Yitzchak, because the, tr- the people of his land and his, his birthplace have special yichus. They all are somehow from the family of Avram. They're all related, they're connected. If that's the case, logic would dictate that what would be the best shidduch for a person, especially a person, again, that has great yichus, seemingly the best shidduch would be someone from their own family. And the closer they are, the more related they are, it would be even more fitting. Furthermore, the Rebbe says, we know the whole concept of marriage is pruravu to have children. And as the Torah tells us, that husband and wife become they become as one within their children. So you would understand, it would make sense to say that this would be even more true when the wife is, as the Pasuk uses the expression, she'er b'soroi, right? In other words, a related part of the flesh, part of the family of the husband. So it would make sense, seemingly, to marry Davka, someone that's closely related, and therefore can become literally one. And yet, what, are we, what do we see by Arayos? It's exactly the opposite. It starts off right away, ish, ish. El kol sha'er Make sure not to marry someone that's cl- very closely related. Furthermore, the Rebbe says, how did the to create the world? The to created the world that the way the world goes on was dependent specifically on the fact that the children of Adam or Ishoin needed to marry their sisters. Let's look a little bit further down history. Yaakov married sisters. And specifically about Yaakov, we say, that all 12 Shvatim, 12 Tzadikim come out of him. Amram marries his aunt, which is something that later would become Usur. And Miriam, Aaron, and Moshe are born. If that's the case, the whole idea of not marrying a close relative would seem completely opposite of Seichel. Furthermore, as we said before, the opposite of Seichel of Kedusha. Something similar to what Rashi said by the parsha of the Akedah. Where Avram is saying to Hashem, Yesterday you tell me that Yitzchak is going to be my seed. Am Yisrael is going to be coming from Yitzchak. And now you're telling me to bring him to the Akedah. And afterwards, once again, Don't bring him up. In other words, it seems to be that as far as Torah itself is concerned, there's some sort of contradiction over here, so to speak. And this is why there needs to be a special command that even these gzeros, even things that seem to be completely opposite the, the seichel, the logic, even of Kedusha, you need to accept this kind of gzeros and then starts the particular gzeros in this context, in this case, the idea of Arayus. However, the only problem with all of this is and why this is still cannot suffice just as being the full answer for itself is that yes, first of all, even though it's true that only now are the Yidden being given Gzairais, and therefore perhaps maybe up until now they didn't really accept the Gzairais, however, shouldn't have it been that when Hashem is telling the Yidden to accept his Malchus and all of his general mitzvahs, then seemingly that should have been the time to also accept all kinds of mitzvahs, including Gzairais. Why would this be put at so much of a time later and regarding different kinds of commands? Why wasn't it just together with Matan Torah, together with all of the mitzvahs? Another problem with this is that the truth of the matter is this idea of Arayos was something that existed even before Matan Torah and even to Bnei Noyach, 
at least the very close relatives, is part of Sheva Mitzvah's B'nai Noyach. Yes, not the ones that we mentioned before about two sisters or an aunt, but some of the relatives are definitely part of, some of these Arayas are definitely part of Sheva Mitzvah's B'nai Noyach. And therefore, that, those would have also been in, considered a Gzeira, as said before. Matan they got more mitzvahs. And it's regarding all of these things that the Yidin already accepted, seemingly, by Matan when they said Nasa Venishma. The Rebbe points out over here, uh, specifically if you follow the Rashi, what the Rebbe is quoting in the Ha'ara, that when the, the Yidin said Nasa, Rashi points out that this was including for the Sheva Mitzvah is B'nai Noyach. And one of them is Arayu, so they did accept it already. And it's for this reason that Rashi now needs to bring a second Pirush. That Ani Hashem Alekeichem is an introduction to specifically what we're about to discuss, the Dinim of Arayus. And this would fit um, also more similar to the way the Pirush is often brought, that Hashem gives reward and punishment and so on and so forth. Ah, if that's the case, why does it say it in the beginning in this case? As we asked before, usually it says in the end is only to emphasize that there's something extra strong over here in the severity, in the seriousness of this particular command. And that's why it says that Hashem is coming with a decree. And the reason is, as Rashi explains, the importance of it is because Hashem knew that eventually the Yidin are going to mess up in this particular area. And as we'll soon see more of the details about that, and that's why even before the whole idea of Arayos, Hashem is saying you should know who is decreeing this, as Rashi explains. I am the judge that's going to punish, and I give reward, etc. Why is there a need specifically by Arayos to give this special warning that does not exist in the other Isurim of the Torah? So Rashi is giving us the, the, the message over here the answer to this with the particular word that Rashi uses when he speaks about how the Yidden transgressed in Arayus. Rashi uses what seems to be a bit of an unusual word. Lenatek boarayus. Lenatek means to disconnect, to disattach. And Rashi says that, Rashi is basically telling us that in Arayus there's a possibility over here and, and the Abishta knows that in fact this is going to be of a tremendous disconnect. And the Rebbe explains that in this case we're of course speaking about lenatic to disconnect and refers to the Yidden disconnecting from the Eibishter. And this is exactly actually what happened there in the time of Ezra as discussed over there in Tanakh at great length. The Rebbe does not go into it over here. The Rebbe mentions a tiny drop of this a little bit further but the general idea there in the story of Ezra was that Ezra when he came back up from the Golos and came to Yerushalayim and so on, he found a terrible, terrible situation of intermarriage, of Yidin of marrying uh, not Jewish women, etc., etc. And the Rebbe is about to explain why this is a specific idea of dis- disconnect and a disattachment. The Rebbe says, especially as we know, and as the Rambam says, that this idea of one marrying, intermarrying with a, with a non-Jew, even though there's no direct Mises Bezdin, the Rambam says, it should not be light in your eyes, rather there's something terrible over here, a tremendous loss that does not even exist by other Arayos, and that is that at least a child in other Arayos would still be considered your child and he's still considered a Jew, even though in some case he might be a Mamzer. Right? But if it's a child from a Goyesh woman, it's not even considered your child. And as the Pasuk says, that the child that will be born will be completely removed from Hashem. He's not going to be part of Klau Yisrael, completely disconnected from Hashem. 
That's according to Allah. Also in Pshute Shal Mikra, Rashi actually brings it and says also the same thing, Lamadnu that we learn, that your grandchild that comes from, if it's coming from a Goy, that means if a Jewish woman married a Goy, then it would still be considered at least a Jewish child. However, if it's a grandchild coming from a non-Jewish woman, then it's not even considered your child, it's considered her child, a Goyish child. And therefore, because of the special severity in this idea, and knowing that this is going to happen at the time of Ezra, where Yidin are completely disconnecting themselves and their children from the Abishter, as discussed in those Psukim, that's why there needs to be extra warning, extra precautions given in our Psukim. And that's why Rashi does not bring the story in the time when Vayishma Moshe, when Moshe hears the Yidin crying because of the Dinim of Arayis, because in that case, you wouldn't apply to Arayis more this idea of lenatek, of a complete disconnect from Hashem, more than anything else, any other Averis. Whereas the story of Ezra, as said before here, is what happened here with the intermarriages, where literally Yidin are being, are being completely removed from the Yiddishkeit, causing the children not to be Yidin at all. Now, even though in our parsha we're not even discussing the dinim of not marrying a Goyesha woman, However, since we're generally speaking about the forbidden relations, which would also include this Aveda, which would separate the Yid from the Abishta completely, even though, yes, there will be in a separate place the mitzvah for this, that's why right in the beginning of all of these dinim of forbidden relations, we're immediately emphasizing this idea, the severity of this. However, the Rebbe says, this Pirush is also not completely as smooth, and in fact, it's even more problematic than the first Pirish, because it's very difficult to say in Pshutei Shal Mikra that the reason why the Pasuk is saying over here, Ani Hashem Alekeichem, is because something that's going to happen so long after. In fact, it's about a mitzvah that's even going to be said later, and that's why Rashi brings the first Pirush, and in fact, Rashi brings the first Pirush, as we said before, as the main Pirush. However, nevertheless, at least to remove a little bit of this wonder of this question of how could, does it make sense that this Pasuk is referring to something that's going to happen so much later. So Rashi helps us out in this idea by emphasizing that who is the one that said it? Rebbe. As we know, Rebbe is the one that organized and wrote down the Mishnayis. Now, even though we know there was an halacha, that things that were given over Bixav, things that needed to be written down, cannot be said by heart, things that are said by heart, the oral part of the Torah, the Torah is not meant to be written down. Nevertheless, it was permitted to be written down because of a Pasuk, sometimes when it's a time to do for Hashem, then some halachas and Torah, in a certain sense, are nullified. So in this case, Rebbe went ahead and wrote the Mishnah, even though technically, originally, it wasn't supposed to be written down. Because you're not going to forget the Torah and so on. Because it was a thing necessary for that time. What do we see from all of this? The Rebbe is explaining a posik. A posik that was said by David Amelech. And he's saying, you know what this posik is referring to? To something that's going to happen so many years later in the time when Mishnayis needs to be written. If that's the case, Rebbe over here is also going according to that logic and his shita that it could be a posik over here referring to something that's going to happen many years later in the time of Ezra when the Yidin are going to mess up in this particular area and that's why Hashem is giving them the decree now and that Hashem is trusted to pay the reward for those that follow his ways.